Welcome to the Focused People Podcast, where we explore the realities of leading teams and being human. Here we are again, Focused People Podcast. Tom McKay, lovely to have you on the line again today, talking about anxiety, choking when it comes to performance. And uh, Tom, I know that for myself as a musician, being on the stage and often in business doing presentations, which I believe is really, really an anxious uh, or an anxiety moment for most business people. These are things that I have to deal with on a regular basis. What about you? Uh, Share with us a little bit of your journey and perhaps you can frame your viewpoint on this topic. Thank you, Hill, for as always, I'm thrilled to be here chatting to you this topic is extremely close to my heart it's been a massive part of my own life i know sure. it's part of most people's life but i know for me personally i i mean i could talk to for days on this particular issue <laughs> having competed at the high level in in tennis uh, having played music myself and experienced what it's like to be on stage sure i can just say that Anxiety in performance is is really a massive, massive element that I look forward to unpacking. Great. I have often thought to myself that the reason why we respect those guys like Tiger Woods, Roger Federer, amazing musicians like Andre Rue, and they, the way they put together these incredible symphony performances that seem effortless and everything comes off it's beyond remarkable how frequently these these individuals are faced with trials and tribulations in their particular sport or focus area and the reason that they are so world famous is because more of the time than most they're able to somehow pull out something positive hmm. and it's it's a study in itself because i've had moments in my own life where i've been for example i play the piano I sit down to play a song and then I decide to record it. And the moment I decide to to record it, I feel my cheeks get a little tight. My hands get a little stiff. Mm -hmm. I've just played it three times without a mistake. And there's always a difficult uh, part of a song. And that part of this, uh, when I got there, I went straight through it. Well, this time I start recording it and I'm so aware of the difficulty coming that I make a mistake in an area of the song that's quite easy. (laughs) (laughs) And this is what we're talking about, you know, anxiety and performance is that thing that causes us to tighten up. Hmm. It's that thing that causes us to close down our sensory awareness, our sensory and physical freedom Mm -hmm. in our being and why we respect these you know, people who are famous is often in sport or in music or in performance is often because somehow in that moment, they're able to stay present. They're able to stay relaxed just enough or keep control just enough to be able to perform suitably enough or better than others and take home the trophy. That's so good, Tom. Yeah. I mean, when you say stay present, That's such an interesting word. Why don't you unpack that for me? What do you mean by staying present in that performance? Okay, so I've got a beautiful example. I remember I was playing a match in in the United States. I was playing somewhere in Louisiana and 
it was a very close match playing a great player. We were five all in the first set and it was 30 all. And I'd been battling to win this guy's service game. So I stepped up at 30 all and I thought, this is a great time. If I can win this point, I'll put him under pressure to break his service game. So I stepped up and he missed the first serve and he hadn't missed too many. And I thought, wow, what an opportunity. Second serve, I'm going to be able to put him under pressure. And he served it to me and I swung at the ball and I completely missed it. <laughs> I didn't even strike the ball on the frame, on the strings. I completely missed it. Now, as wow. somebody who's hit 10,000, 20,000, 100,000 tennis balls in his life. Yeah. There's only one reason you miss it, because you were not present. Sure. I'd gone either ahead of myself or I'd got stuck in the past. Hmm. Because the past was about my fears. I really need to make this. I really need to make this. This is my chance. This is when I can put pressure on him. Talking, talking to the point of such angst about making a mistake, but not taking the opportunity yes. that I actually lost the capacity to even strike the ball. Wow. And uh, if I hear you right, you're reminding me of uh, my very poor amateur cricket career. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my son is uh, far more talented at, at sport than I was. And I remember playing cricket at club level. He was playing cricket and they had a dads and lads sort of moment where I came on. And there was this moment where he was bowling and uh, he got the guy to make a rash shot and the ball came to me to catch it. <laughs> and, uh, and knowing this kind of theory in the moment, I just I, I thought about, okay, what have I learned? Uh, minimize the event. Make it a small event. Say to yourself, this is just like the practice. You've got the skill, buddy. And uh, I've thankfully made the catch. And he was like, yay, the guy's out. <laughs> um, so it worked in that occasion, on that occasion for me. And I wonder... Is something like that expandable to the, the professional arena? Is that something that is worth doing? Oh, it is unbelievably powerful. And I say that because it's a process towards personal power. You know, it's the reason why I still love playing tennis today. Sure. Because every time I'm five all and 30 all, I step up to that court and I'm like, right. I feel that little bit of tension build. I'm aware of the moment. It's a little bit of, is it anxiety? Is it excitement? Is it tension? It's all of it. Some of it is, feels great. Some of it doesn't. But every time I step up, I say, relax, breathe through the ball. Wow. No, step in and breathe through the ball. Keep your awareness. Keep your movement forward. So what I've done is I've simplified the moment into smaller chunks that I can actually manage rather than before it was like right your whole career of the last 15 years of playing seven days a week has now come to this moment don't mess it up wow you yeah. know step in hold two and focus people being a, a primarily a, a business consultancy the relation to sport with business is is actually not dissimilar at all the only difference maybe is that sports matches are very much in, a, in the moment. Their tension points at a point in time, even sure. though it is on the front, on the, the, you know, you're really active the entire time. It only lasts at most a couple of hours. 
whereas businesses for 40 or 50 years. However, the difference being that the same thing happens in business. You're permanently making decisions. You're permanently making adjustments. You're permanently having to look at your schedule for the week. You've got pressure and tension moments. And it's in those moments, customer feedback. If you're in a restaurant and you get a difficult customer, it's how you respond in that in that particular minute that determines whether your restaurant ends up on social media in a positive way or not. It, how you talk to your staff builds that morale and, and, and proves whether you are actually for your vision or not. And so it's easy for us to look at a sportsman like Tiger Woods. It, he's six under and all the other guys are five under and he's on the 17th hole and there's water. And can he actually keep it together and hit it over? And not hit it in the water that's easy to look at because it's so acute sure but in business we have to look a little bit deeper just to understand how it plays out in our daily lives how it plays out in the boardroom it's so real uh, when i think of uh, a lot of the executives that i've coached as well so much of it is looking at the big picture and needing to then break it down into practical things that they can do day by day to live in the moment, uh, to be strategic rather than too operational. And even though their role might be a very strategic one where they're tasked with the big picture and, and looking at the context of the organization and shareholder value and cutting costs where necessary as well, it's so interesting that the personal side of it is often neglected. What can I do in this moment, in this situation that I can actually own and that I could perhaps manage the controllables in this environment. And there's quite a lot of talk, in fact, about controlling the controllables. And I think in, in some sense, it's very, very useful because we talk about managing your nutrition, managing your hydration, uh, your sleep, your physical exercise and conditioning so that you as a human being are in a good space. And then there's the mental dimension to that as well. What are your thoughts on that, Tom? Well, I think if I look at practical examples I face in my business life often, some of them relate to as something as simple as sending an email. I mean, we can break it down into something as simple as that. Yeah. Where there have been tension moments in, in business where I've written an email and in my younger years, I would send that email. <laughs> and it had quite a lot of emotion in it, quite a lot of frustration, quite a lot of angst, quite a lot of expression. And as I got more experienced, luckily enough, I was always polite. So I didn't have too many negative comebacks, but I didn't always get the result I wanted. Yeah. And it's the same as my 5-all, 30-all, missing the ball. Yeah. When you are either you want it too much or you too emotionally involved in a moment and you express too much emotion and anger and frustration, you often don't get the result you want. And so what I've done now is sometimes when there's a difficult male that needs to go out. Not a difficult female. <laughs> <laughs> you got me there. Uh, love Sorry, it. man. A yeah, absolutely. A difficult email got to go out. I'll write it and I won't send it. I'll write it and I'll either wait half an hour, go and have a cup of tea and reread it. Yeah. 
and then refine it. Or I'll write it, send in my drafts, I'll go back to it the next day. Decide to myself, do I even need to send the email? There've even been times I've been very fortunate with my own staff. I've walked in and they're having a massive discussion over a difficult customer. And they've written this mail and they're about to push send. And I'd say to them, so tell me about the issue. And they'll run through it and they totally triggered emotionally. You know, this customer's got right under their skin. And I say to them, but you've already had this discussion with them. So sending this mail, you know, isn't it surely just going to put their backs up more? Is there not another way? And you see them calm down and say, yeah, I guess you're right. You know, we just wanted to really push the issue, you know, get our issue, our, our, our feelings across, you know, set up the principle. Let them know. Yeah. It's like me. It's exactly the same in sport. You know, I'm going to step up to the line. It's 30 all. It's five all. I'm going to step up and I'm going to hit this thing. This is in, on principle. <laughs> and I've forgotten to flow. I've forgotten to step back and ask myself, mm. how little effort would it take if I just went on the front foot and I chipped it and I ran up and put the guy under pressure? If he had a good shot, so be it. But at least I made him play. At least I forced him to have a reaction. Yeah. And that's the crossover from sport to business is sometimes the capacity to look at things from a different angle. Ask yourself, do I really need to send this email? Is there another way I could handle this? Yeah. And what do I really want right now? And those are powerful questions because when you ask yourself, what do I really want? Or what's, what's the risk of this? If I, if I do it in the wrong way, Am I willing to accept the risks that come if I send this mail in this way? What sure. other options do I have? And then you can start saying, right, well, I could chip the shot and come to the net. I could actually, you know, hit a lot more topspin and maybe try and get it into an angle. You know, I could, I could actually hit the ball back, give myself another one or two shots before I get aggressive. And it's the same in business. If there's someone owes you money, I could send a polite mail. I could maybe give the guy or the lady a call. You know, I could try different options before just pushing home and doing the same, the same need to always win or the same need to always be aggressive. There's another option. I've sure. got more options in this moment. And that releases anxiety because anxiety is really a fear, a fear of failure into the future. Yeah. And when you're present in the moment, you actually bring the option to assess it on its merits purely in the moment. That's so and good. Yeah. That's so good. I mean, you're reminding me. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, 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 no. Sorry. I, I think I may have actually finished my thoughts. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> you, you're just reminding me, uh, Rosbeth Moskanto, who uh, ran Harvard Business School for a long time, she wrote a book on confidence and uh, she defined it as a positive expectation of success uh, mm. and that we can build cycles of success in our teams and everything where we've got this positive expectation. We're looking forward and seeing success. So that speaks to the anxiety being the opposite of it. You're looking forward, but you're not seeing success. You're seeing failure. And that causes you to worry, to get stuck in the moment, in a sense. And it feels like the, uh, you're being present, but present dwelling on the wrong thing. 
And uh, you reminded me of uh, something I heard a couple of years ago. I've been following this Formula One show on Netflix. And uh, what is it? Drive to Survive. And it's, uh, it's very, very cool. Um, I mean, there are a good couple of uh, choice words spoken in the pits that should not be repeated amongst your children. <laughs> uh, but other than that, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, but uh, yeah, with racing drivers, when they're heading towards the wall, they don't look at the wall. They look to the recovery point. They focus on where they want to go. And you reminded me of that when you, you mentioned uh, that, what do I really want? What is it that I'm actually after? Because if I want to get back on the track and I look that direction, my arms will follow. And then as a, a driver, I'm more likely to at least side swipe the wall rather than hit it head on, which is potentially life threatening. I love that analogy. I, lo I, I love that analogy. I mean, it, it's exactly that. It's, it's when you're able to, to direct yourself towards what you want and knowing that that's good for you. Sure. I think that's also a very important element. The driver knows if I, get a, if I go to where I, where I need to be, I will be safe. Yes. So the driver doesn't go, I need to aim towards the road because then I'll come first. Hmm. When he's on his way towards the wall. Yes, the more I do that, the more I will win. If, if I stay within the bounds of the road quicker than others, I will win. But their general thinking is when they're in the moment making decisions about that corner, they're focusing to where they want to go. Yeah. And they're in that moment making the little adjustments, the little adjustments. And mm. ultimately, the best drivers are those who make the adjustments a little quicker and don't get stuck or don't get a bit tight on that corner and take it a bit wide or, or too narrow. Yeah. So I love your analogy. I think, I think it speaks so much towards the, the need to not think that just because business is eight hours a day and it takes forever that you don't need the same level of awareness that you do as a Formula One race driver. It just has a slightly different speed, yeah. but it's still required. You need to be aware of everything that's going on. Mm. I love what you're saying about the little adjustments, Tom. I think, uh, you know, from a musical perspective, I remember one of the greatest adjustments I needed to make as a drummer was shifting from using a lot of wrist and arm movement to a lot more finger movement uh, because your fingers can do far more intricate things. It's just a lot more sensitivity there. Now, sitting with my friend Lloyd Martin, who uh, is just a, the most fantastic drummer and one of my favorite mentors of all time, just a fantastic man. I'm so grateful to him for the time he invested. So shout out to Lloyd for free. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Lloyd uh, spent a lot of time working with me after I asked him, I sat down at a conference where he was playing and I said to him, do you have a moment? He said, sure. I sat down, I said to him, can you just watch me and tell me what I'm doing wrong? Because <laughs> I said, I'll play three or four songs and I just get so tired. He said, sure, I'll watch. I played for probably about two minutes and he said, I can see what you're doing. And then he said to me uh, something that I hated him for, but now love him for. He said, the bad news is it's going to get worse before it gets any better. The reason for that is that you need to get your finger control over the wrist control that you're using too much of. And so you're going to get slower before you get fast again. And it's going to take you about a year to get back to a place where you are at the same level you are now, but then you can sustain and get faster. 
And it was such a horrible thing, but at the same time, now that I knew what to do, I devoted myself to that. And he was about right, it was about a year. And then I started to see myself overtake. And, you know, 20 odd years later, I'm so grateful because that's what's made the difference in my playing to be able to get control, to be able to feel the flow without stressing myself out, take the pressure off having to focus in the moment on what my fingers are doing and how do I sustain this for the next song and be able to focus on listening to the band, picking up on the nuances of the music and going with the vibe of what's happening on stage, all because of little movements that I needed to change. Wow. Oh, I love that story. I mean, I think it's, I mean, it's, it shows the dedication you and love you had to your, to your craft. It, I, I love it because when you look at your top sportsmen, your basketball players, yeah. baseball, cricket, you, you name it, swimmers, runners, we know that they put in a lot of time, but the best ones don't just focus on repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah. They do do repeats, but they often find tuning. It's a mindset of curiosity. Mm. And maybe curiosity is the word I use, but it's to them, it's, it's I'm reading Rafa Nadal's book at the moment. Yeah. And it's that permanent want to get better. Hmm. They permanently want to get better. And how many business people do you know wake up in the morning and say, why do you want to, why do you go to business? Oh man, I just want to get better. <laughs> wow. It's not it's not the common thing. It's like, no, well, this is my job. You know, I went to university and, and I, you know, I studied psychology. So now I got a job in the HR department of a company. <laughs> you know, I, I gotta pay my bills, you know? <laughs> wow. And then and in a way, what focus people is trying to promote is that when you have a, a mindset of wanting to be a little better, yeah, it does something in your life. It really does do something in your life. It opens doors to asking questions. It opens doors to watching those around you to, to learn about the good and the not so good and to choose which habits you think you might be able to, to embrace yourself, which open doors. Hmm. And it keeps you alive because when you're trying to get better and you, you take a mindset that each day teaches you something, sure. then Working for 40 or 50 years doesn't necessarily seem so bad because you think, wow, where will I be in that time? Maybe not monetarily. That's, that's, that takes a lot of different, I know Carl, who's not with us today, but Carl often talks about that sometimes financial success involves luck. And I think we can all acknowledge that that is the case. Sometimes <laughs> things go your way. But if you work for money alone, you won't often get the enjoyment and contentedness in your life. When you focus on continually getting better, then it's, it, it, it opens your heart. It opens your heart to be a part of your, of your work. So good. Which might ask you to ask one question. It might ask you to, to do one thing that someone sees at some point and gets you in a better position. And wouldn't you rather do that than not? And so for me, when I look back at my five all 30 all moment, I have a good chuckle about it now. Yes, I didn't make it as a professional tennis player. It would have been nice that I maybe hit that shot and maybe a whole bunch of other sequences had happened. Sure. But at the same time, I'm still trying to beat myself today. I'm still challenging myself today. 
many, many years after I stopped playing, 20 years later, I still love the game. I still love that challenge. And so Absolutely. it doesn't matter if I made it or not anymore. I'm happy. I'm contented. And you are the beach tennis champion. <laughs> so, which is fantastic. Yes. <laughs> and that's no little uh, thing. So, <laughs> so life, life has a way of looking after you. And if you measure it by how much money you have, you're going to cut, sell yourself short. Mm. And I think your thing of being a musician and taking that task on today has given you no doubt so much joy because when you're in the band now, not so stressful. Yeah. Now it's a more question of, hey, got to add in that extra beat. <laughs> hey, man, today I was just so on it. And it makes you feel alive. And I think sure. if focus people can help people be more alive within their businesses, they'll be more innovative because when you're alive, you're able to think out the box. You're able to be a little more open-minded to creativity, which is where innovation comes from. So good, Tom. And uh, just picking up on that, the two things I wanted to add, I think the one is particularly that uh, that's obviously why we as a business are so focused on coaching and making a difference uh, at an individual level, coaching teams and coaching individuals. Because, uh, like you mentioned earlier, people need to see different options. They need to be taken through a process. Perhaps they're not sure what the goal should be, or they're very clear on the goal, but they need a, a mirror to be able to reflect, how am I doing on this stuff? And how are we doing? Are we still doing this with emotional intelligence? Do you find us to be a psychologically safe environment? What's your perspective from the outside? And we could chat those things through and make such a contribution from a coaching perspective, mm. which is mm, I love that. which is great, yeah. Uh, mm. And I think the other thing it. was just, you reminded me that I recently watched a 2005 movie on Netflix. <laughs> Uh, and <laughs> it was really strange in the COVID era to be watching. And so here's the spoiler alert. It was War of the Worlds with Tom okay. Cruise in the lead. And yes. uh, I watched it with uh, our sons and I didn't know that it was actually a bit of a horror to begin with. So I was a little bit, yes. I, I was uh, <laughs> quite impressed by the fact that they stuck it out with us, even though it was a bit like, oh, <laughs> initially. <laughs> uh, but watching War of the Worlds during the COVID-19 epidemic, or should we say pandemic, sorry, was fascinating because, spoiler alert, have you watched the movie, by the way? Do you know the book? I have, yes. yes. When things come down to the very last chapter and the aliens are defeated by the humans, it's not because of human ingenuity in a particular thing. It's not because, uh, you know, we, we sent something up to blow them up. It's the resilience that we had built up, the resistance we had built up to viruses and other diseases that when they consumed our people, they could not process, they could not digest. Right. right. And so in many ways, it was the centuries of overcoming disease by disease, flu by flu, which they wouldn't have built up resistance to. They just would have got the organism. Right. And right. there's that kind of thing that is, uh, is the central message of War of the Worlds. But mm. besides that, I think just related to what you're saying, that we're actually given the gift of learning. That each mm. day we have the opportunity to say, I'm going to be better. I love that. Uh, I, I'm going to be a better drummer, even if I flop badly today, um, which I hope I don't. I'm going to learn. And next time I'm going to say, oh, I think that I was a bit too busy on the kick drum. And I dominated it. When I listen back, 
I think I dominated a bit too much in the mix. I'm going to simplify my kick beat next time because I want the music to breathe more next time around. And just, yeah, in that sort of way, uh, I, my friend Floris uh, also said to me with improvisational theater that uh, when you're given a prop, it's a gift. Because when somebody gives you something, you've got something to work with and you now need to respond based on what they've given you. So in improv theater, <laughs> they do it that I way. I love that. And uh, I guess each moment in business is a gift. Each difficult conversation that we have is a gift because we're learning how to treat our customers better. Mm -hmm. uh, every customer touch point, when you embrace that even security is a touch point in your organization and communicate something to, your to customers as they enter your premises, then you want to maximize that and say, what was my experience coming in today? And how can we tweak that? What can we learn? I think there's so many opportunities if we take that learning approach, like you mentioned. Mm. It's a mindset, isn't it? I mean, we're often curious about trying to understand stand these things. It's the human way to try and put it into language and understand it. Sure. And, and it's very much a, a mindset. I mean, if I had any wish from my younger self, it would be that I had been more, not just more present, but that when things got tight, I naturally backed myself to enjoy it. And I say enjoy it because things are not always easy. I mean, we're not saying the learning mindset is easy for a moment. In fact, sometimes the learning mindset is painful because you have to examine your own shortcomings and embrace them. But at least it's freeing. Mm. The more you do it, the more free you, you feel because you, take, you tackle yourself and you look a year later and you say, wow, Look how much more free I am in business. Look at how I battled with those decisions. Look how I battled with conflict. Look how I was sensitive um, or I analyzed too much. Mm. I mean, analysis paralysis is a big topic. And in fact, what I did at 5 or 30 all, and sorry to hop on about that moment, but it's such a teaching moment for me, sure. such a defining moment. And I've had many, that's just one. <laughs> I was in analysis paralysis. I had paralyzed my ability to do something that I'd done hundreds of thousands of times since the age of five years old. There's right. no way I should ever miss a tennis ball. Yeah. Unless it's dark or it's very difficult conditions. But other than that, but you miss it when you paralyze yourself. So how many businessmen or businesswomen or team leaders get crippled by anxiety about making decisions about staff members I mean, it's a, these are very difficult topics. I mean, we, we're not just trying to make light of Absolutely. how many difficult Absolutely. decisions there are. What should your current pricing be? Is it time for a special? Yeah. What happens if you do this and you, and you put out your special and some customers are upset because they didn't get the special and then they saw it in some social media post and then they're upset and got to come back to you. They're, they're constant decisions. You, you're constantly feeling your way in business. Yeah. You look at Warren Buffett as an investor. We know that he reads up to six hours or more a day. Well, this is what he has made known. Yeah. And why is he doing that? Because he's checking himself all day long. He's checking his judgment. He's formulating judgment and checking. Very good. Am I making the right decision? What's long-term? How do I see the world? I mean, there must be billions of bits of decisions going through that man's brain mm. at that level of money involved. 
And invariably, he gets it right more than wrong because he puts so much time and effort into thinking about the business, thinking about the investment, not just looking at the detail and the technical aspects. And so how many businesses spend time working in the business on almost autopilot? And how much time do they truly spend thinking about and the, the business as a whole, the strategy of the business or the strategy of their position? Yeah. Asking themselves the question, I'm the marketing director or I'm the operations director. This is what I do. This is my role. Is this adding value? Is there something else that another operational director could or should be doing? Yes. What other areas or value could I be adding that I'm not currently adding? I mean, what a lovely question. What an open question to start investigating and become more passionate about asking people from different departments questions or asking people who work in other companies. When you go to a brow with friends, hey, what do you do? (laughs) How do you handle that issue? Yo, I battle with my staff. How do you handle your staff? Just ask the question. What, so what an interesting life to live when you do it that way. I love it, Tom. And you kind of reflecting a bit of that history on the tennis court as well, that when you, your past is not what you're focused on, but rather the learning, uh, the, it just opens up so much. Suddenly you can ask better questions. You're genuinely interested in the answer because you're listening to the person and they feel uh, respected because you've asked for their opinion. So you validate them and their experience in the moment. You build bridges of understanding towards each other. They feel that their voice is heard. And all you did was actually be vulnerable and say, you know what, I can learn here. I can grow. And it's such a simple act, but so powerful. As you're saying, uh, I was reminded, uh, I once coached the head of business banking at an investment bank. And she was a new appointee into that role. She had been heading up one of the other divisions before and was struggling to let go of that division because they were so used to her helping out and being accessible to them. But when she took over the role, I didn't know any of that history. Uh, Just as we sat down, I asked her, so what does the head of business banking do? And she looked at me and uh, she just said, that is a jolly good question. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. And uh, it was a wonderful discussion for an hour around, so what is my new role and what does it encompass and how can it set me free to be more strategic as I let go of the old and all the labels and the habits and the things that are no longer helpful? And how do I equip the next person to run that well? And I think there's so many... Yeah, absolutely. I say good for her. I mean, I think what, a, what an amazing, humble approach. Good for her. Absolutely. And it's no surprise that she's done incredibly well in that role and the bank has gone on. No to surprise. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, some of the things we talk about, you know, could be seen to be uh, very much around positive psychology. Some people might not always feel they're grounded. But the truth is they're very grounded. They're actually grounded in what really matters. And anybody who's serious about having a happy work life and a productive work life will really listen carefully to stories of people like that who've gone into really powerful positions in an organization yeah, and have embraced that psychology. And it just means on day one, they're that much sharper. Yeah. And I love that, you know, I still get 
moments of paralysis. I still get moments of tension. I still am facing my daily, uh, we call them demons, but for, for want of it, um, ways of being, you know, I mean, I've got a, a body here that carries centuries of DNA from, from family and the long forgotten <laughs> past. And some of my body reactions or the, my personality or psychology, some of that will filter through. Human beings are, are not simple or complicated. We complex. We have so many layers upon layers. We, we have to unfold to understand ourselves. And that's what the journey of life is about. And so you never arrive. You can have the biggest house and the biggest bank account. But COVID can come along and I mean, I'm using an extreme example sure. and put your whole, your whole life in, in jeopardy if you're not careful. We're always vulnerable. You don't ever arrive. You don't ever become the perfect businessman. But you can become more focused. You can become more present. You can build on bettering your, yourself and your role. And when you do that in the moment, your anxiety levels over time in performance decrease and your trust of yourself in the moment improves. So when I step up for a very important tennis point, what, what's ended up happening is I'll walk up and I, you know, pick up the balls and pass it under the net and you sort of do, do a couple of foot movements and, you know, get myself ready. And then I squat down as I'm ready for the serve. It's coming at 200 kilometers an hour. Yeah. And I say to myself, just breathe, move forward, trust yourself. Now, when you've done that onwards and onwards and testing yourself and you, you win some, you lose some, you win some, you lose some, invariably you get a little better at it. Your performance yeah. just gets a little better. And so if you are 25 years old and you take on this mindset, by the time you're 35 years old, and obviously <clears> with <throat> things a little bit of luck too, you're rarely in for a good wicket. You're rarely on, on a good path. It's so good, Tom. And you remind me of the, the mental rehearsal part of this as well, that Sometimes when we're needing to prepare for something that seems very daunting and we feel that anxiety, we can rehearse in our minds and borrow the positive emotion from the past where we have been successful, drop it into our future situation and say, we're going to be successful there too. We are good at this thing. And we're using mm. real evidence from our past to build on, mm. uh, which is a very practical thing as well. Very, very much so. And, and uh, I think when... When I look at many things that I do in business today that I didn't even do maybe a year or two ago, a lot of it is about one, internal language, how we speak to ourselves. Yeah. When you wake up in the morning, do you have a little procedure that you, um, procedure is not the right word. It's like a, what do we call it? Hill when you wake up and you do certain things, uh, a sequence of yeah. behaviors. A practice. Of a sorts. routine. Mm. Thank you. There's the word, a routine in mm. which you, you know, so that by the time you get to work, you've already, you know, a little bit excited or a little bit on edge and, and in a positive way, not in a negative way, you know, aware of what you're going to tackle today, you know, what was challenging about yesterday. So you've already primed yourself, you know, Rafa Nadal, before he goes on for every tennis match, he goes into a cold shower and he says, when he goes into a cold shower, he comes out a new person. He comes out totally ready for battle. 
he dries himself and he puts on his bandana. And when he puts on his bandana, he didn't use these words, but I think it almost makes him feel like Rambo and he's ready for war. He says, I come out of that thing new. And in a way, when you go into that, whatever your routine is, you have your shower in the morning or whatever, you've got a couple of key things you say to yourself, maybe you've got some breathing techniques or you've got something that you're putting into your mindset in the morning so that you're ready that much more activated or you've got a little notebook um, and it's, it's about your internal language. It's about visualizing where you're going for that day. It's about reminding yourself to be present that that business is about solving problems. But the solving problems are ultimately what give you your financial abilities and also what give you your learning opportunities. So good. There's so much involved on a daily basis in, in terms of being able to breathe, relax, be in it, trust yourself, check your judgment, ask questions that in a way you know different to a performance athlete. You just need to cut it up into smaller chunks for your day. So, right, I'm going to focus for the next hour. Actually, I got an amazing amount done now. I'm going for a 20-minute break so that I can come back and re-energize. So the life of a of a person in business it shouldn't really be any different. And it should come with, you know, great rewards. Mm. Wonderful. Well, Tom, I, I so appreciate your time and your insights. And uh, to the listeners out there, if you really appreciate what we're saying and you want to contact us for more, please reach out uh, at focusedpeople.biz. We would love to be in touch. And if we can help you to be successful in your domain and to overcome any anxiety that's holding your back, uh, you back, not your back, because that would not be good, <laughs> but holding you back, uh, that would be our pure delight to be able to do that. So, Tom, I guess it's time to end and to say uh, stay focused, people. Thank you, Hill. 